Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to Titus, my true son in our common faith. Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. Thank you for tuning into the sixth episode of Working with the Word. In episode one, we encourage everyone to find your why for Bible study. Then in episodes two through five, we developed the theme of evaluating your how in Bible study, particularly by discussing the inductive study method and how we believe it to be a helpful method in our personal study of God's Word. Today, we move into a new series of episodes, Executing Your What?, by putting the skills that we've been talking about into practice. Remember the three circles we talked about in the first episode? We've started with our why, we moved to talking about our how, and now it's time to focus on our what, the deeper daily study of God's Word. Our next four episodes are meant to give a glimpse into how Emerson and I would implement the inductive study method. Remember that we are on this journey of needing the skills and confidence for developing deeper daily Bible study with you all as well. So today, we want to instill that confidence in you, knowing that you can study the Bible, particularly as we consider what it is like to do a flyover as we are getting into a new book. So, let's quickly point out a few important reminders about the need to do careful observation, and then let's get into Paul's letter to Titus, as today we talk about Cretans, Christians, and knuckleheads. So what we're going to be doing today is a flyover view of Titus, and we're actually going to be reading it together, but it's important that we remember the value of doing that. If you remember back in episode three, we talked about opening your eyes and doing good, careful observation. And one of the things we emphasized is the importance of reading a single book of the Bible in one sitting, if that's possible. That's hard with Isaiah because it's got 66 chapters. It's going to take you several hours. But like with the book with Titus, it's very doable. And so what's the value of reading one book of the Bible in one sitting? Well, number one, you're reading it as it was intended to be read, right? Not the typical Bible class where we're doing this fragmented verse-by-verse study where we are stopping to define the word Paul. (laughs) We come to the first word of Titus and we have to look up every occurrence of Paul in the New Testament or every occurrence of the word the. Instead, we're stepping back, we're getting the big picture. What is Paul saying to Titus? What does Paul want Titus to do or not to do? What's the overall message? What's the major theme? What's the author's main point? So that's the value of of reading it through. And as we've been talking about, do that several times. Read through the text three to five times or even more. And as you do that, you're going to find that that's a real struggle. And when Jeff and I were working on this, we're reading through Titus over and over again. And so we know that the struggle is real. Um, As we were preparing for this episode, we discovered one of the challenges, especially, is keeping it fresh. So, you know, you get to your fifth time of reading the book of Titus, and it's like, well, I've already read it five times. What am I going to get out of the sixth time? I already know it. So here's just a few suggestions for how to keep it fresh for you. Try listening to an audio reading. If you find yourself getting into a rut, have someone else read it to you, or maybe read it aloud to yourself, or read from a new translation, one that you're less familiar with that might just give some different wording to things, or maybe try reading with someone else, maybe a spouse or brother or sister in Christ, and try alternating how you read. Maybe one time read it silently to yourself, 
Next time, read it aloud to yourself. Maybe the third time, you listen to it on your commute or on a run. So the importance here is just to not skip this step. Don't skip the big picture observation. It's hard. It takes discipline and endurance, but it's going to give you so much confidence as you dig deeper into the book of Titus or whatever book you're studying later on. And the familiarity you're going to gain with what's in the text is just going to be totally worth it. You're always going to be better for it reading the text over and over again. So we just wanted to start off by just saying you can do it. So with those reminders in mind, let's talk a little bit about the book of Titus. So when I start a new book of the Bible, whether it's in reading or teaching or maybe I'm going to be preaching on a particular book, I usually like to prime the pump with at least a small amount of overview or background information about that book. Some of the Bibles I have, they have a one to two paragraph introduction that's provided by the editors that are meant to give a, here's who wrote the book or here's around the time it would have been written, here's maybe a couple of historical things going on or some Maybe even they'll give a couple of themes to look for. So that can be helpful for me. Or maybe I'll look up a video on YouTube by somebody like The Bible Project. They have some great videos that give overview themes. With any editor or video or outside source, you always have to have some discernment and discretion with things you take from all of that. But they can be super helpful in seeing, okay, if I am about to study the whole book of Leviticus, about to teach all of that, those videos have been real helpful for me to see just big themes. Yeah, and the visual aspect of those videos is really helpful, just to visualize how the book is broken down into sections and how it logically flows. Yes, exactly. It might also be possible to just read something from like a Bible dictionary or skim through just the introduction of a commentary about that particular Bible book. And really in this step of just trying to prime the pump, I want to avoid overloading on too much information at this particular point because I really want to take as much of that information from reading the text over and over again, from doing that observation on my own. Although, I'll be honest, it's helpful for me to have maybe a little bit of knowledge before I get into a book. Sometimes it'll be good to even go with less knowledge than that and do some of those research or questions afterwards, but let's give at least a little bit of background information about the island and people of Crete. Let's give just a little bit of information about Paul and Titus and maybe a couple of things that you might want to know before Emerson reads the text for us here in just a moment. So the island of Crete is southeast of the nation of Greece. Outside of Titus, the only biblical record we have of Crete is in Acts 27, where Paul is shipwrecked on the island on the way to appeal to Caesar in Rome. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about the book of Acts in just a second, but that gives us just a little bit of the biblical record about the island of Crete. Uh, You could go to a Bible dictionary and look up what they have to say about Crete. Maybe they've got a couple of extra paragraphs to give you more of the history. of. You could maybe do some of that other research on your own. There's definitely a Jewish influence we want to talk about, not just from the island of Crete, but also that relates to the book of Titus itself. Jews from Crete were present on the day of Pentecost. If you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 7 through 8, and then verse 11, it says that they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? In verse 11 of Acts chapter 2, again, it says, Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, who hear them telling our own tongues the mighty works of God. So some of those Cretans were there in Acts chapter 2 when the apostles, the Holy Spirit, come upon them and heard that first gospel message. That's likely how the gospel first reached the island. We're not 100% sure about that, but that makes a lot of sense, at least in my mind. But even as these young Christians brought the truth home, there was still a Jewish presence that needed to be dealt with there 
on the island. In Titus chapter 1, Paul says to Titus, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. So we'll notice there's something going on with some false teachers, particularly maybe some Jewish false teachers. But finally, let's talk a little bit about Paul and Titus themselves. There's nothing from the book of Acts specifically about this particular work that's done on Crete. Again, the only reference we have to the island of Crete and Paul visiting there would have been when he was shipwrecked as a prisoner on his way to Rome. So he probably wasn't frolicking around the whole island (laughs) planting churches at that particular point. In the book of Galatians, we do have in that letter, in chapter 2, a reference of Titus being with Paul and Barnabas for some work that was done, but we don't have much other information about what took place during that work. So at some point, the two, Paul and Titus, worked together establishing churches on the island of Crete. Most likely this was sometime after the events recorded in the book of Acts and Paul's first Roman imprisonment, but not long after those events took place, Paul writes this letter to this young man with these particular words that Emerson's going to read for us right now. So I'm going to read the book of Titus, and just as a reminder, this the value of doing this is to listen to this as if you are the original audience. And I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. In his own time, he has revealed his word in the preaching with which I was entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and, as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. For there are many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply, so that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. To the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. But you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, and sound in faith, love, and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good, 
so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands, so that God's word will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach, so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. Slaves are to submit to their masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness, so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Proclaim these things, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law because they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. For you know that such a person has gone astray and is sinning. He is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis because I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey so that they will lack nothing. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works for pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. All those who are with me send you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with all of you. So after reading all of that, what are some things that you noticed, Jeff? We want to begin by talking about an outline of the book. We want to have given a chance for people to hear the book, to listen to it in a way where Emerson wasn't implying chapter divisions or anything like that or implying any particular outline. But let's talk at least a little bit briefly in this introduction to Titus about how we're breaking down the book as far as an outline. The first four verses are, of chapter one are going to be just this kind of standard introduction. It's Paul 
you're Titus, here's some things about God as well that I'm going to say in that area. But in the rest of chapter 1, we're seeing sound teaching for every church. There are elders that need to be in every church who are able to teach the faithful word, as opposed to false teachers who are rampant and who must be silenced, people who might get in the way and stand against that sound teaching. In chapter 2, those first 10 verses, we see sound teaching for every person, as Paul talks to Titus about these different groups of people and how they are to maybe implement this into their lives. You have older men, older women, younger men, younger women. Titus himself is addressed by Paul. Slaves or servants are talked about there. How are we going to apply this sound teaching to our life? But really, there's this great point in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, where we have the source of sound teaching about God's grace, how it teaches us to live righteously, and God's grace purifying us for good deeds. And then in the rest of chapter 2 through the first 11 verses of chapter 3, we have sound teaching versus unsound living, where we understand that we are not Cretans, we're Christians. We have a transformed way of life, as opposed to dealing with those divisive people that are talked about towards the end of that section. Some people were calling those knuckleheads who kind (laughs) of misbehave and do things they shouldn't do. And then there's the final greetings as well. Uh, Here are some people that send greetings or some people that you need to look out for at the very end of the book. That is a very bare-bones, skeletal type of outline. That just gives maybe, as you will go back and on your own start to do some of your observation, that might be helpful for you to have that particular skeleton in mind. Or maybe you break up the skeleton in a different way. You have a kind of bare-bones outline as you would be getting more into that kind of ground-level stage of reading And then you start to add some muscle and some flesh to that outline as well. Maybe you would define that differently. But that at least gives us some idea about emphasizing things like the sound teaching. Maybe you notice that point in each of those along the way. So there are going to be obviously themes or repeated words as well that we noticed in here. Maybe you noticed as you were listening to Emerson reading a second ago. Yeah, so one of the key phrases that stood out to me in my reading is this word good, or especially good works. Uh, Mm -hmm. Paul uses that phrase about six times in the letter, which is really remarkable given that it's a pretty short letter. Focus on those words, good works and good teaching. That leads to sound teaching or sound in faith. The word sound just means healthy, and he uses that word sound about five times. And so hence our emphasis in the outline on sound teaching for every church, every person, the source of sound teaching versus unsound living and unsound teaching. And then you've got these contrasts that are really all over the letter where he contrasts the true and false teachers. In chapter one, he says to Titus, you know, I want you to appoint elders in every church. They need to be men who are solid in the faith, who are sound Mm -hmm. in the teaching because the false teachers have to be silenced. Then in chapters 2 and 3, you've really got the contrast between godlessness and righteous living, that the the Cretans, the the Jewish teachings that Titus is not to listen to, they lead to godlessness. They lead to quarreling and disputes versus the gospel, which leads to righteous living. And Mm. you've got the contrast between the Cretan character. Paul quotes one of the poets of Crete. Cretans are always evil beasts, lazy gluttons, they're liars. And, you know, Christians need to live differently than the world. And so you've got that strong uh, contrast there. One of the first things that I noticed, just really practical as I was reading through it, is it really doesn't take that long to read. 
And, you know, sometimes right. when we think about our Bible reading, we think we've got to commit to an hour every day to do Bible reading. You don't have to do that. It took us less than 10 minutes to read the book of Titus. Yeah, exactly. It, through six and a half minutes, you can get through the book of the Bible. And then when we talk about observation, we'll get to this again in just a moment for our challenge, but we're making the point that observation can be something you do for a couple of days. Reading the same book of the Bible, spending the same six and a half to ten minutes every day reading the same book is not a bad thing. That is going to be beneficial if you keep your eyes open and look for maybe some of these contrasting ideas or you look for some of these repeated phrases that might help you to see some key themes as you're starting to develop all of these things to help you get to eventually that application point. I'll add one just kind of teaser. Whenever you go back and look to do your own reading of Titus, look for a contrast. You know, there's that statement that Cretans are evil beasts and they're always liars. Somewhere else in chapter 1, God is described as a great contrast to that. So notice that as you're going to be reading, looking for this contrast on your own. So we think about the book and the purpose of the book. In chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul talks about the idea of, you know, I need you to finish what we started. Paul and Titus were on Crete together at some point. Paul had to go off and do other work somewhere. We don't have a whole lot of information about any of that either. But Titus is still there. And one of the things that needs to be done is obviously to appoint elders, to establish that sound teaching, people who will do that even as Titus will have to go from one church to the other on the island of Crete. But also he's going to emphasize himself that sound teaching is going to lead to sound living, as we especially are going to center ourselves with that source of the sound teaching. And that leads us to one of our last observations we want to bring up, is that in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, you've really got the high point, the climax, the pinnacle of the entire letter. So he says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, and instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, and to live in a righteous, sensible, godly way. That's really the theme of the entire book. Everything in this letter springs from those verses, verses 11 to 14. The emphasis on God's grace and the gospel that has appeared through Jesus. The emphasis on how grace teaches us to live soundly, to live healthy, righteous life, and to emphasize sound teaching. And he closes that section in verse 14, emphasizing that we need to be eager to do good works because that's what God has redeemed us. He has cleansed us for that purpose. So, you know, those verses look back to chapters 1 and 2, what he's already said about the sound teaching in every church, the sound teaching in every person's life. The reason for that is because God's grace has instructed us. It's training us to live in that way. And it looks forward to chapter 3, what he's going to say about, you know, how do we submit to the government? How do we treat those around us? How do we live differently than we used to live? Why? Why? Because it all comes back to the importance of God's grace. That's the sound teaching about God's grace and his, his gospel. It changes us. It transforms us to not be Cretans or knuckleheads, but to be Christians. Amen. So as we get into our wrap-up and challenge for this week, Surprise, surprise, we want you to read Titus some more. We want you to read Titus with the goal of focusing on that ground-level part of observation. Stick in the observation phase, maybe even for the next week or so. In the ground level, you're going to be doing things like making notes, maybe jotting down some quick questions, asking those five W's and an H type of questions to help 
keep your mind thinking about the text. Create your own outline, or maybe if you like that outline as a starting point that we gave, flesh that out a little bit more and add maybe a letter A and B to point one and two as well. Read Titus with the goal of focusing on the ground level. Again, this is very doable. We read it today in six and a half minutes. This could take, maybe if you read it a little bit slower, 10 minutes max. And will you be better if you do it each day? Absolutely. You will come to know the book of Titus and know what's there, what's in it, much more. Now, does that mean you're going to know everything as you read it again tomorrow? No. There are still things that Emerson and I are wrestling with as we're working through these series of episodes. But as you are doing this good observation and we're putting all the things we've talked about already into practice, you have your why, you want to study the Bible, you're living that out in the how, want you to look, observe, and be patient as we're digging deeper and daily into the study of God's Word. Thank you for listening to Working with the Word today. If there are any questions or topics or books of the Bible you would like for us to cover in future episodes of Working with the Word, you can find and reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at Working with the Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's workingwiththewordpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity.